Welcome to the Femtech Health Podcast. Today, we're joined by Lynn Schulte, a physical therapist and birth healing expert. We're going to dive into all things related to prenatal and postpartum care, exploring patterns in the postpartum body, and the importance of pelvic health. You're going to learn about identifying postpartum patterns, releasing trauma responses, and supporting a smoother birth experience. All right, let's get started with today's show. I'm here today with Lynn Schulte. She is a physical therapist. She's also a birth healing expert, and she's the founder of the Institute of Birth Healing. Lynn has over 30 years experience in this space of women's health. She has online courses and in-person courses. Lynn, thanks for being on the show with us today. I really love your work. I'm passionate for your work, especially in the prenatal postpartum space. Please tell us a little bit about your journey into this space. How did all that happen? Where did all that passion come from? Thanks, Ray, so much for having me. I love any opportunity I get to be able to share what I know. I'm just so passionate about this. It all started for me, I, like you said, I've been a PT for over 30 years. And when we moved from Seattle, Washington to Boulder, Colorado, I had to start my practice all over again and build from scratch. And I started giving classes to postpartum clients about their, their belly, like what to do with their belly after birth. And then I just started seeing postpartum clients in my practice. And I think what's interesting for most people to understand is that when you are working in a clinic per se, you are seeing all different kinds of people in your practice. And so I think what was really unique for me is that I was only seeing postpartum women. And that's what helped me to, to discover these patterns that I just kept finding in the, sa the same pattern over and over and over in all these people. And it wouldn't have happened for me had I been seeing people with interstitial cystitis or, you know, other things. I was just seeing postpartum. So that's what helped me to discover these patterns. And then I figured out how to release these patterns from their body. And people were getting off my table in one session and they were like, my pain's gone. Wait a minute. I've been seeing a chiropractor and a massage therapist for months. And in five minutes, you got my pain gone? And it's like, yes, because I know what to look for and I know how to help it get better. And that really is how the, the whole postpartum patterns kind of evolved for me. And then I started seeing, well, the other thing that was happening was I really learned how to tune into the body and to feel what was going on in the tissues. And I kept finding like one sit bone, you know, those ischial tuberosities are our sit bones that we sit on. And I, I was finding like one out to the side compared to the other. And I got really confused by that because I'm like, does the baby just come right out the middle? <laughs> Why am I noticing that one ischium is more out to the side? And so I started doing some research and really understanding what happens during birth, the birth process to the pelvis. And then using my clinical background and that clinical knowledge, I was just like, oh, this person was in this position during the labor. And so let's say you're laying on your left side as the baby's coming out, that left side can't move. And so the right side has to move more. And that's why I was finding that right ischium more splayed out to the side. And 
you know, these clients are complaining of low back pain, pelvic pain, hip pain, all the things that are so common in postpartum. And when you bring the bones back to their original position, everything can function better. And it just kept happening over and over. And I started putting on YouTube what I was finding in the postpartum body. And then I started getting emails from people all over the world going, oh my gosh, I have exactly what you're talking about. Can you help me? You know, Do you know someone who can help me? And I'm like, well, you can try a pelvic floor PT. You can try someone who does visceral manipulation, but they're not addressing it in the way that I know because I've discovered this on my own. And that really was the impetus for me to, to start the Institute for Birth Healing and to start teaching others what I know about the pregnant and postpartum bodies. And, and what's great about it is that my students have been able to get the same results. And a lot of times we're getting people out of pain in one session. It's, it's crazy. It's so fun. It's so fun. It is. It's wonderful, isn't it, to make such a difference. I, I want to ask you, too, do you feel, you know, you, you look at the, you know, prenatal postpartum time frame. And I just want to understand, do you, where do you feel the physical therapists actually belong in this time frame? Where, where should we enter in? Should we be involved all the time? Like, tell yeah. me through your whole knowledge base, because you have this beautiful picture now that you've developed over the last 30 years. Tell, tell us where we belong in this picture and how we need to stand up and really take hold of this uh, a piece of belonging here yeah ideally i i would love to see us involved before conception <laughs> in an ideal world right we if someone's thinking oh, i want to get pregnant i would love to see them just to check out their pelvic health and you know there's so much that we can do let's check out your pelvic floor let's check out your your ovaries, your uterus, we can, you know, work with all that area and get it primed for conception. And then once someone gets pregnant, I like to let things alone that first trimester. I don't, you know, that's a time where we don't really know if the, the pregnancy is viable or not. And I teach my students to not really mess around too much with a pregnant person in that first trimester unless they're in pain. Pain trumps everything. So if someone's having pain, I want to see them right away. And I want to continue seeing and supporting them throughout their pregnancy to keep them out of pain. And then even if someone is not in pain, in that late second to third trimester, well, I think we, sh we could be supporting them throughout the entire process, whether there's, we're seeing them monthly or twice a month. There's so much that we as physical therapists have to offer the pregnant client if someone's able to come in that frequently to see us. And But what's most important to me in my mind is that late second, early third trimester period to definitely get evaluated to make sure that baby is able to have space and balance in the pregnant person's body. So that the baby can get into whatever position it needs to in order to come out. And that is what is not widely known in the world these days, is that physical therapists can help to assess and treat 
any restrictions in the abdomen. So anybody who's pregnant, if your baby is just hanging off on one side and it doesn't have the ability to get to that other side, that's in it a restriction. That's an imbalance in your abdominal space. And that needs to be addressed because if baby's only on the right-hand side, it might not be able to get into the best position to get that head midline and really centered to come on out. So now that head's coming through asynclitically, which means crooked. <laughs> it's coming in crooked and it's a more challenging birth. My whole platform, my whole goal with this work is a smoother birth and a faster recovery for pregnant people. And I really think that being seen regularly to help maintain that balance, to help maintain strength during the pregnancy. I was just at our uh, Physical Therapy Association conference, annual conference this year. And one of the talks was on diastasis recti. And they had a picture of a woman who had a very large diastasis recti. And she, she got it at, with her first pregnancy. Well, she got pregnant again. And they showed a very pendulous belly on the screen, what picture of her during her second pregnancy. And I've always been concerned with pendulous bellies, which means that the baby is hanging so far forward, so far lower than the entrance to the pelvis that sometimes it makes it more difficult for a baby to get into the pelvis. So we want to try to avoid pendulous bellies. But when I went up and asked them about her birth, she did fine, which is not my experience with the women that I've worked with, with pendulous bellies. But this person was a crossfitter. This person was really working out during her pregnancy. And maybe that's the difference, is that it doesn't matter the pendulousness of the belly. Maybe it's the strength of whatever muscles we do have that impact labor. And so I just think it's really important for us all to become aware of what is happening in that belly. I think we're not aware of, I think we're becoming more aware of baby's position in the belly, which is great. We want to know where the kicks are. The kicks are the feet. We want to know where the wiggles are. That's the hands. We want to know if the head is down or, the, you know, is the butt, where's the butt, where's the head. But we need to make sure that the baby can get into that position by creating balance and space in the abdomen. And I think the misconception that we as physical therapists can help our pregnant clients is that, you know, there's just this misconception, well, my belly's going to get bigger, so I should just allow it and let it get bigger. And, and it's like, no, we need to be engaging that belly. We need to be working those abdominal muscles and keeping them strong throughout the pregnancy so that we can offer that best support during the labor process of helping baby to come out too. So throughout that birthing prod through pregnancy process, it really depends. I've, I've worked with someone from the day they conceived because they started having pain and I worked with her throughout her entire labor pregnancy and then helped her see her afterwards until she felt fully recovered. And then there's others that, you know, feel great, but I would still encourage you to come see us in that late second and early third trimester timeframe, 30 to 33 weeks. By 35, 36 weeks, we really want to make sure the baby's head is down 
And so if we find any restrictions earlier on, we can work with that and we can help help the baby get into the best position, release any restrictions that might be causing problem and focus on keeping you strong throughout the pregnancy because we need to remember that labor is a marathon. We don't know how long you're going to be in labor. You need to have that endurance. You need to create that strength in your body to be able to tolerate that event. And then, of course, we definitely need to see you afterwards. So, Lynn, let's just review. Pelvic checks for women who might even be thinking about having a baby are very important, number one, especially if they've ever had any pelvic, low back, Mm -hmm. hip, et cetera, type of pain. And then I hear you saying, hey, we let them sit for a little bit right in that first trimester. It's not like we're not paying attention to them, but maybe if they have pain, we're walking them through. But really in the second and third trimester, we're present. Talk to me just a little bit so people understand about these restrictions you're talking about in that late pregnancy and why we're talking about different laboring positions with them and different positions with their hips and their low back, et cetera. So people understand from a physical therapist expert opinion why they need to have the vision of what that is. Okay. So what I, I, what I share with my pregnant clients is, look, there's three main areas of your body that I want to assess prior to you going into labor. One is the abdomen. I want to make sure that your lower abdominal fascia, your, your belly muscles, your rib cage, all of that is released. So we're creating space. And then I want to make sure that your uterine ligaments are balanced. We have your broad ligaments are these broad ligaments that come out from either side of your uterus and they attach into the peritoneum. So into near your hip, your, your pelvic bones. And so those come out, those offer lateral stability. And then we have the round ligaments. They're like little ropes that start from near the front top of your uterus. They come down and attach into your labia. And so if you're having any labial pain, any clitoral pain, we need to be thinking and addressing around ligaments as well. And those round ligaments, they're kind of, I like to think of the uterus as a hot air balloon that's anchored to the ground. You know, we have all the sandbags holding all the ropes down to keep the hot air balloon from flying off. Well, if one rope is too tight, that hot air balloon is going to tip to that side. And that's exactly what happens to the uterus as well. And so instead of the uterus that we want the fundus, the top of the uterus to be directly over baby's head. And if the round ligament is too tight, it may kind of side bend that uterus off to one side. And now baby's kind of cockeyed in there to come through. The other two ligament or the other ligament we need to be aware of is the uterosacral ligament that attaches from the lower back part of the uterus into either your sacrum or some ligaments in the posterior part of the pelvis. And that offers some posterior support to the uterus. If those uterosacral ligaments get tight, it can cause a twisting of the uterus. Again, just, and that can cause some, the cervix not to be able to open up freely. There's, there's a thing called a cervical lip. Sometimes tight uterosacral ligaments can cause a, a cervical lip. And I had a client in just the other week and she's had three babies. She's pregnant with her fourth. Every single pregnancy, she had a uterine lip or a cervical lip, excuse me. 
And and she's like, the the midwives would go in there, they would check and say, I have a cervical lip. They would tell me I couldn't push. And it just created all this chaos in my labor. She goes, this time, they're not even checking. And I go, okay, but let me check something out. And she definitely had a right side uterosacral ligament tension in there. And I'm like, was your lip on the right side? Because I bet it was. <laughs> she didn't know. But that's the that's the connection of all these uterine ligaments are so important to make sure that we've got good, beautiful balance in there. So that's what I want to look at with the abdomen. Then we want to look at the pelvis itself. Have you had any falls or injuries to your tailbone? I had one client that came to see me, had a 42-hour labor that ended in a cesarean birth. And she came in to see me afterwards. She goes, I really want to have a VBAC, but can you, can you assess and see what was going on? Well, when I went to see, to evaluate her, her tailbone was sticking at a 90 degree angle up into her pelvic outlet. So instead of being nice and flat, it was a blockade and the baby was hitting the, the tailbone and no wonder it couldn't come out. And my heart just broke thinking, why did nobody assess this before you spent 42 hours in labor? Like that's what we as physical therapists can help you to figure out and assess for you. Like the, the thing about midwives and OBGYNs, they do a great job of keeping you and your baby alive. But nobody is assessing what I like to call the birth door. And the birth door is the pelvis and the pelvic floor muscles. Nobody's assessing to see, is that opening clear of obstruction for baby to come through? And for that one client's case, it was not. And I would have loved to have worked with her to see if we could have made a change, but I'm not sure we would have because it was really fixated. And so, I, you know, with someone like that, I would be like, you're probably better off getting a cesarean birth having a cesarean birth. And so we can assess to see, can these bones move as they need to for birth? And then the last thing I want to look at is the pelvic floor muscles. I call them the stoplight for birth. Because if we have red light tone in these muscles, it is going to keep this pelvic outlet tight and baby's not coming out. So it's like a stop. Nope, baby's not coming out. If we have yellow tone in there for the pelvic floor muscles, it's just going to make it a lot harder for baby to come on out. What we want is green light tone, which is nice and springy and bouncy, and it gives when you, you push on it. And that's what we want to make sure we have evenly on both sides. And so that the we want to make sure that those pelvic floor muscles are working and have what we call good reserve, meaning... They can function well, they have good strength, and they have good relaxation and lengthening ability. You know, one of the big issues that can happen for women post-birth is a big tear, a tear in their pelvic floor muscles. Well, a grade three, grade four tear can actually go into your anal sphincter muscle and cause problems with bowel movements. And we know, research tells us that one of the main contributing factors to the development of a grade three, four tear is paradoxical pushing. And that's when you're trying to push from up above, but you're contracting your pelvic floor muscles. 
when you contract your pelvic floor muscles, you're, you're, you're creating a red light pelvic floor. You're not allowing that baby to come through. And we, uh, one of the things that I love working on with my, my pregnant clients is helping them to figure out how to push effectively. And I can't tell you the number of times, Sheree, you put your fingers on their pelvic floor and you're like, okay, go ahead and push my fingers on out. And they tighten. And it's like, okay, that was actually a tightening. Can you do the opposite? And it takes them quite a bit of time to figure out how to lengthen them. And could you imagine if every single person who was pregnant before they went into labor, they actually practiced that and knew how to effectively push? What could that do to our recovery rates, to our tearing, to our C-section rates? And so many people just don't really fully understand how to bear down while relaxing the pelvic floor muscles. And that's what we as physical therapists can offer a pregnant person. And there's so much that we can do. And we also want to make sure that there's good strength in those pelvic floor muscles because we know muscles that have more strength and tone to them actually don't tear as much as long as they can give. (laughs) Right. So there is so much that we have to offer a pregnant person during the, you know, before they go into labor. And, and the other most important and interesting fact that I have found, because I teach practitioners how to focus on how to help people learn how to push. And, and even in my clinical practice with my clients and with my students, it is almost universal that we practice this pushing in all different positions. And do you know which position you're the weakest, you, the, the hardest for you to let go of those pelvic floor muscles is in? Nope. On your back. Mm-hmm. On your back is the hardest position for someone to figure out how to let go of their pelvic floor muscles. And what is the main position that most people are in when they give birth? On their back. And so no wonder we have a high C-section rate with, you know, people trying to deliver on their back. They can't relax their pelvic floor. They have no idea how to push and, and let go of their pelvic floor muscles. I, if I have someone who, you know, we're trying to get them to do it on their back with their knees bent up and they can't do it, I'm like, okay, let's just hold off here. Let's get you on your side. And I'm still intravaginal while they're on their side. And they're just like, whoa, oh, that's it. Yeah. So much easier when it's on your side. Then we get them up on hands and knees and yay, they can do it on hands and knees. We even do it in tall kneeling, you know, which mimics a squat position. And all of those are so much easier for a person to push in than on your back with your knees bent up. Yeah, so much information from gravity, right? More proprioceptive idea, right, of where the floor even lies. As soon as I have that bit of gravitational pull or just different positioning. I think this is the beauty of people coming even, you know, sometimes I have people, you know, showing up in their third trimester and they're like, oh, what are you really going to do with me? And I'm like, okay, how do you want to let, how are you wanting to labor and deliver? You know, so many people have expectations about it and we're part of that. We're going to help them be ready for those positions, right? We're teaching them actually where their floor lies 
I mean, they don't even know how big the floor yeah. is, right? Or how much yeah. uh, uh, control they actually have over the floor. And that's the beauty of having a musculoskeletal physical therapist who specializes in prenatal postpartum yeah. work and women's health work is they have the vision of what needs to happen. So many people have spent their entire life being so strong in their floor, they don't even know yeah. how to actually let it get to what a green light stage, right? Because they're constantly, yeah. you know, in a red light. So I'm just going to review for everybody out there. So we're looking at the abdomen, right? The ribs, how much mobility. We're looking at the ligaments that are present there. Just making sure, because we want symmetry. We want this baby to have an easy ride down, right? Then we're going to look at the pelvis. It's positioning. The pelvis needs to be able to move in all kinds of different positions. The sacrum needs to move so that it can get out of the way and help as well, right? And then we also need to look at the pelvic floor muscles so you can see how much work is going on in yeah. the two to three, that second and third trimester, right? And why we want so desperately for you to see your pelvic PTs who know this type of work. So Lynn, next question. And okay, can I just a- add, uh, just just real quick there, Sheree. The, you know, some women, their bellies create a line in their belly as their belly gets bigger. It's called the yes. linea negra. That line should be so straight. But if it's pulling off on one direction or another, that's a signal to us as practitioners where your tightness is in your body. So there's so many clues. The aches that a mom brings to her pelvis, to her pregnancy, is giving us clues as to what's going on. You should be able to carry a baby without any aches or back pain or anything. And if you are having aches and pains and back pains, that's telling us there's dysfunction going on in your body that would be better addressed prior to you going into labor. I love this thing, too, that you're talking about this symmetry business. Let's just help everyone understand, too. Remember, the pelvic floor is fed by nerves from either side of your low back region, lumbothoracic area, etc. And if something may be a you know, going on from years ago that maybe already there's some asymmetry present in the floor, right? We need to be addressing yeah. that because how how can a baby come down if one side's tighter, the other side's not working very well at all? You know, my pelvis isn't sitting right. There's so many pieces of this that are present. And and this is the beauty, I think, when you have a pelvic floor PT on on board who knows this work because They already have the vision of what this should look like, why it should be doing what it needs to uh, uh, do. You know, is the, you know, pelvis have a good uh, inlet above and does it have a good outlet below, right? There's beautiful things that we're setting them up for. So they have faster, more efficient labors. One of my moms, it was her fifth baby. I'd never seen her before until this baby. And I saw her for some prenatal visits and it was amazing. She came back in, she said, my pushing phase was not even 10 minutes. She said, all my other ones were 20 to 30 minutes. She said, I can't even believe how smooth and easy. She said, I can't even believe my postpartum time has been this beautiful. She said, it's absolutely crazy. And these are the things I think that you're speaking to is that we are such an important part of this journey so that people just get back to their quality of life way faster because we're teaching and educating them, right? Yeah. I think what we bring as physical therapists to the birthing 
process is that we understand the implications of what a person brings in their body to a birth. That's what people aren't recognizing in the birthing community is that they just assume baby's going to come on out. Well, yeah, they do, but sometimes they come out through the belly. And sometimes when they do come out through the vagina, it really can cause havoc in there. And what you and I can offer and all physical therapists can offer is that we can take a look and, and understand your history. You know, one of the most common things that I find in that causes problems in my pregnant clients is appendectomies. So any person who has had a lower abdominal surgery at any point in your life, that created scar tissue. That scar tissue could be pulling that uterus off to one side. The appendectomy, your appendix is in that right lower quadrant of your abdomen and near your groin. And when that gets removed, it creates scar tissue in there and the uterus is always pulled over to the right. And then baby is stuck on the right and it can't move. And, you know, I don't want us to get so stuck on we have to create absolute symmetry, but we want to create mobility. Do you know what I mean, Sheree? I just don't, I don't want, some people get really black and white here and go, I need to be symmetrical. Well, yeah, our body is meant to have some dynamicism to it, right? We can't be sitting evenly all the time, but we do want the majority of the time during our pregnancy to be as symmetrical as possible. And Rachel Shapiro and I, she's a midwife out in Israel, and, and she's not a big fan of the optimal fetal positioning. She goes, because babies get into the best position. Babies know best. That's the one thing we need to remember, right? Babies know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. We don't. But if we can apply what we know about the anatomy and physiology and, and the mobility of your tissues, we can get a better understanding of what's going on in there too. And so, you know, while there is a more common position that most babies get into, it doesn't always happen. And that's okay. There's usually a reason. And it may be that the placenta is more on that side or, you know, the cord is shorter or whatever it may be. We need to trust that the babies are doing what they're doing for a reason and really investigate and look into it. But I think the biggest point, Sheree, that we need to get across in this interview is that it's so the babies know best. And if baby is only off to one side or baby's not descending into the pelvis and they're 40 weeks and baby's still riding high, there's a reason. And we as body workers, as physical therapists, we can get in there and assess and help to release maybe tightness in the pelvic floor muscles. Maybe the, the posterior pelvis, the glutes and the piriformises are too tight, closing up that outlet and causing the baby to stay away from it. There's so much that we can do to support the baby's position in the belly and create a smoother birth. And that's what we all want, don't we? And like less hours during birth. And hopefully we know that when the birth is smoother, the recovery is so much better too, just like you shared. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I appreciate that. And babies know best. That's a great way to, that's a great way to say that. So I just want to shift gears just a little bit. What are your thoughts about the critical elements needed for a woman to have satisfaction with labor and delivery? Yes. Yeah, so important. 
I, I'm in the middle of doing the interviews for my birth healing summit. So I do an online summit every year where I interview 20 different experts all around different topics. The past nine summits have been all about postpartum, but this summit, we're actually doing pregnancy and labor. And one of the interviews talked about this specifically, and they were saying that, you know, sometimes we know the outcomes might be bad in the situation. So if a person has a very short perennial body, and they have very low reserve of their pelvic floor muscles, we know that they are at much higher risk for tearing. But as a professional, we don't want to bias our clients or scare our clients. And so there's this fine line that we walk in sharing this information with them, but not wanting to say this is what's going to happen. But the research tells us that women who are well-informed of their risks and the, you know, possibilities, no matter what ends up happening, have a much higher satisfaction rate with their birth than those who were not told. And so I I think as providers, we need to share that stuff. I really appreciate you saying that. I I think it's an important component for people right now. There's so much information out there for, you know, our moms who are in this reproductive years and they feel so bombarded I was just at the, in San Francisco, at the future of maternal health care. And it was so interesting because one of the things they talked so directly about was this whole idea of that there's so much information, they're so bombarded, they don't even know who's right. They have so much dissatisfaction just personally about how to choose. They don't even know to, to trust their, you know, mom who delivered four babies, yeah. you know. They don't, they, they're, and they're very dissatisfied with the whole process. And I think that comes down to exactly what you just said. We as healthcare providers, whether OBGYNs, whether midwives, you know, whether it's you and I working with people, right? We have to inform them. We have to educate them. It's our job to teach them. Now, that doesn't mean we're scaring people. That doesn't mean we're pushing them too far. But we have to have these conversations. It's very important because that's where their dissatisfaction is coming from, because we are the clinical leaders in the in this space. Right. All the medical practitioners that I talk through. Right. We are the, the leaders and we need to have the words to say, hey, there's these pieces of the puzzle. We want you to be prepped and ready. Yes, this may occur. Or this might happen, but we need them to hear it from us, hear it from people yeah. who know the work and her in the space, right? And I think that makes for a much happier mom. Our mom comes back in and says, oh, well, my birth story wasn't exactly how I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But, you know, I'm okay with that because you already talked to me about all these things that went on or could happen, you know, et cetera. And so I think it's us finding our words, too to be able to help them have the vision of it because there's so much information now they're lost in it. Lost in all of the people. But you know what, Shree, I think the most, the more important aspect of satisfaction during a birth is a connection to the birth provider. And that is, and and I think that's why having a doula at a birth is So. so much better 
for a birthing person because they at least have a connection and a relationship with one person in that room besides their partner that is in the birth field. What's what's hard most days is that if you're with a, a large practice, whether it's an OB practice or midwife practice, the person that you've seen throughout your pregnancy may not be the person delivering to you. And what I'm, I'm hearing from other doulas and from the experiences in the birth room is that providers are coming in and they're not even acknowledging the mom. Mm-hmm. And so could you imagine how different it could be for a birthing person if that OB or that midwife came in, looked the, cl- the, the patient or the, the birthing person right in the eye, introduced themselves and said, I'm here to work with you. I think their satisfaction level in that birth experience would go through the roof. But it's when people come in, they don't even introduce themselves and they want to start doing all this stuff to you and you have no idea why. That's when the dissatisfaction gets high. So, yes, the information is important. The, the stats and the risks and benefits are all important. But what's even more important is that connection to the people in the room who are there to support the birthing person. And that's why I think the labor nurses are so important because they do have that rapport. But man, we got to get those OBs to create that connection too. the midwives got to happen. I think it's interesting. There was a study, I think it was in 2020 that was released and it said, you know, what did a mom like want to feel that she had accomplished at the end of having this baby? Not the... She loved having the baby. I don't mean it like that, but it was like, what was her sense of accomplishment? And it was that she had a personal achievement and she had control through the decision-making process. And I was so fascinated by the study because I thought, this is really the truth, right? And I love that you brought up the doulas because the doulas, I think, are going to be an important component moving forward in our our medical model. I, I don't know how else to say it because, you know, so many people are leaving the medical field, right? And we don't have enough OBGYNs and they they are overworked and overburdened. And unfortunately, unfortunately, through some of the things that have gone on in our country right now, you know, OBs have completely left certain states and left certain geographical regions because of things. And so suddenly we're practicing medicine and there's maternal deserts all over our country. And it's very, it's very frustrating and so I think doulas are going to be a significant part of that component because they will be a consistency for family systems yes. to to have that person who uh, is with them in that decision making process. Maybe you know going into a hospital and they're scared and they thought they were going to deliver at home, et cetera, and now suddenly they're not. They have that consistent person. But I was super fascinated by the idea that you know personal achievement and this control and the decision-making process was such yeah. a value. That's really all they wanted. They wanted this baby, right? But they needed to know those two things. And I think us supplying all the components of it and the doula is definitely a, co- a component of it. I mean, think of it. It used to be our moms going in with us, you know, to labor and yeah. delivery time, time frames. I mean, that's the way we I did it. Like, that's the way yeah. it worked, you know, that many years ago. But the world changed, right? And a lot of people and family systems maybe don't have their family systems mm-hmm. available 
And so there is this beautiful opportunity and in states all over our country right now, doulas are now going to get paid through certain insurance insurance carriers, et cetera. And it's an actually wonderful, exciting time because I believe then that that personal satisfaction, that achievement and that feeling of well-being is going to escalate and go through the roof, right? Because now we'll have this more continuum of care that uh, is present and we need it we, we because you know we we can't have the medical field be you know one in three medical practitioners are leaving do you know what i mean they're professions mm-hmm. and so we are going to be understaffed we already are and we're going to continue to be so so we now have to have a, a different kind of birth community and more of a collective type of a setup right where we're going to have multiple providers and we're all going to be working together, sharing information, sharing all of it. And I think this is the beauty of the work you've already been doing is that you're integrating this work with so many different healthcare providers to make the life of a woman better. Yeah. And afterwards. Yeah. Well, Sheree, as you're talking about the state of our medical care system, I think when it comes to birthing, it's really important. We need to be empowered. We need to be empowered with good information. And that's, I'm thinking about all the interviews that I've already done for my birth healing summit that's happening in April of this year in 2024. There is a child, a childbirth lawyer that I interviewed and she wrote a book on having safer childbirth in, in it's a number one bestseller. And new moms and practitioners alike need to know and read that book because she was talking about one of the factors in childbirth cases where baby or mom, you know, had adverse effects or events. One is the busy, a a very busy OBGYN ward. You know, it's a busy day at night. Stuff happens. And so we, as, as a birthing person, I think we need to be as prepared and educated as possible. And I think this book does a beautiful job in helping people to become aware of it. And then there's, I was trying to rack my brain as you were talking there because I cannot, there is an acronym that one of the speakers shared about in a birth process and the doctors wanting to do something. There's an acronym and I cannot remember it, but if you can listen to the interviews, you'll hear it in one of them, but it's, it's an acronym to ask the like four or five different questions. What happens if we wait? Are there alternatives? you know, do we have to do this right now? Or, you know, there's four or five questions that they ask during the birth that if, you know, doctor's like, well, we should do a, a, a episiotomy. And, and that you can ask those four questions to go, what happens if we wait? Are there any alternatives? And there's a couple other questions. So I would encourage you to listen to those interviews because um, it, it's just really helpful for us to be as prepared as possible as we go into these birthing experiences. Yes, uh, one of our Canadian trained physicians, uh, she's amazing, but she she talks about this whole process of, you know, listening <laughs> and and actually asking, you know, what are you feeling? You know, do you feel fearful? You know, what are your expectations? Yeah. I think sometimes we get so busy in the medical model, we st- we forget to stop to actually ask you know, the person, yes. uh, what are your expectations about this? You know, you, you might not understand, but people carry that expectations of what their mother said or their grandmother said or some neighbor said or their girlfriend told them. They carry it around right. with them. 
and they don't even know it. You know, I had a woman who basically said on her third baby, I'm absolutely 100% going to have a, you know, like, you know, no epidural, no nothing and da da da, you know, (laughs) and this was her expectation. And I said to her finally, well, why? Well, everybody said that you should have a baby with no epidural. I've never been able to do it. And I was like, well, there was a reason why in your first two babies you had to have an epidural. Let's talk about it. And that would be wonderful if you didn't in the third one. But let's just talk through first, like, why you needed an epidural with these two babies? Like, I mean, and I think that's the beauty, right? Like, then it changes people because we actually took the time to ask. Right. Well, and I don't know about you, Sheree, but I've seen it over and over in my practice when I have a pregnant person come in and go, I absolutely do not want a cesarean birth. And they end up having a cesarean birth. You know, so I know. It, so I, what I tell my clients, I, you know, if someone comes in and says that to me, I get curious with them too and say, so what is it about a cesarean birth that you know, you're so against? And let's see if we can work towards that. And uh, what I know to be true is that whatever you're either most afraid of or most resistant to is what you actually get. So let's work on that too. And let's shift that. Because what I tell my clients is create your plan. This is your best plan of action. This is what you would hope to have happen and throw it away. Because in birth, you've got to be flexible. You have to have the flexibility to be able to adapt to the moment and what's happening. And, you know, this birth is a dance between your body and the baby and the baby knows your body knows how to get the baby out. How can you support that and not get in the way of that? And I just think it's so important that we help our clients to really explore. And I teach all my students like, challenge the the fears talk about the fears write about the fears get the fears out on paper so that it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a barrier in your birth i love it you gave me a segue right to the next thing i'm about to ask you because there's definitely women who have had birth traumas right like and you mm-hmm. do a lot of healing work in the birth trauma world And I know we don't have time to go into the depth, but I just want you to just share just a little bit of why you think that's so valuable for people to address their birth trauma, because many women have had birth trauma and they carry it around for years and years, and it's disruptive to their pelvic health and their quality of life. So just tell us a little bit about that. So when when we have been traumatized and in birth, we need to understand that there's capital T trauma that people are like, oh, yes, I was traumatized. And there's lowercase t trauma where people are, oh, no, my birth was great. My birth was great. And then you start working with their body and the tissues and you feel that they're holding on to something. And then they go, oh, I remember that happened. And so it's a smaller moment during the birth where they don't, they wouldn't qualify it as a, a trauma, but it actually recorded in their body, in their tissue as a trauma response. When we are traumatized, the body, the, our responses are fight, flight, freeze, or collapse, or fawn. And during birth, we can't fight it. We can't flight from it. We can't run away from it. So freeze is one of the most common responses in the body. 
And so the body just goes into this like, uh, and it's holding its breath. It, it's like the body hasn't exhaled after the event. And when, you know, we haven't gotten into this, but I found that the bones of the pelvis don't go back to their original position. And this trauma response is one of the reasons why is that the bones are usually in that open pattern of trying to get the baby out. And when that trauma response happens, it, the body freezes in that moment in time until we learn how to go back and reprocess and replay that traumatic event and try to help what happens is the cells, the body cells that, that get stuck in that moment in time. And it doesn't realize that the baby's now three or 30 or 50 years old. You know, the body is still hanging on to it until it's processed. And the body is so intelligent, it leaves breadcrumbs. And so the breadcrumb is that open birthing pattern in the pelvis. The, the, the breadcrumb is tension in the pelvic floor muscles that just won't go away. You go work with someone, maybe a pelvic floor PT, and you've got tension on one side of your muscle and they try to massage it and get it to go away, but it always comes back. It always comes back. To me, that's a sign that there's still something being held in there and we need to dive deeper into it. And it's usually that trauma response or it could be one of the issues being held in there. And so, you know, the trauma response, ideally, sometimes, it, you know, people have trauma. Sometimes they give birth and that and they don't do any healing in between. And that second birth can be very healing for them because they have a different experience. In an ideal world, we would all be able to get support and heal that trauma prior to going into another labor so that that birth isn't impacting the present labor and the present pregnancy. And you know, I had had a doula that gave birth to her first one vaginally, but the, babies, the baby had shoulder dystocia they had to break the clavicle in order to get the baby out. And when she went, she was pregnant with her second one. And she didn't do any work with that first one. She came to see me after the birth of her second one because she had a C-section and she was having a lot of pain in her C-section scar. But what I was drawn to was actually her, her left hip where the shoulder dystocia was still sitting. And it was a block. And, and then when, you know, we helped heal that. And then when we got to her C-section scar, I could just feel all the fear of everybody around her because she was this natural doula person that supported natural birth in the community. And everyone was like, she's having a C-section. Oh no. But she, her body was totally fine with having a C-section, but it was everybody's fear being held in her C-section scar because they didn't want her to have the C-section, but she didn't want to have another vaginal birth and potentially have another shoulder dystocia. Absolutely. So and that's how previous trauma can impact future births. You know, Lynn, thank you. That was really important, I think, for people to have this feeling of like when they're coming to a pelvic PT who knows the depth of this work, you know, we're not just talking postpartum exercise things. We are talking about settling a body back down, letting, helping it exhale. You said it before. I yes. love the word. We're, we're letting this body exhale. And when we put our hands on people and suddenly they even take a deep breath, right? <sighs> and their body just sighs and let's go. You and I have the vision of that exhale. And I just want people out in the world to know this exhale component is such a valuable piece, right? Because now we dropped out of that freeze 
uh, whether it was a big T or a little T, right? We dropped out of that freeze and we let it all go. And we just don't know, you know, I've had ladies who have had a very traumatic labor and delivery. They've gone to talk therapy and they've talked and talked and talked and talked about it. Yeah. And they come in, they come, yeah, they come into me and they said, I don't really think it's done. And I said, no, because your body keeps the score and it's in your cells and mm-hmm. let's just work through this next piece. And it's such a beautiful work, right? Because then they're free yeah. of it and their body's like, yeah. okay, I'm on to the next thing. And it's an amazing yeah. component. I just want to be clear with people. This is why there's this beauty that happens in the postpartum time frame with pelvic health PTs that are in depth with this sort of work where their hands are on your body in therapeutic ways to teach that exhale component. It's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So and so so wait, hang on, but we need to just okay. qualify that because not yeah. every pelvic floor PT can go there, Sri. And you and I, you know, fortunately we're there and I am working to train more to be able to go there effectively, but not every pelvic floor PT is is equal. And I would encourage people if you're interested in this kind of healing work, I do have a directory on my website of people who have trained with me. And people who have done the advanced work or my intensive training, they know how to work with that energetic, with the trauma, the trauma response in the body. And they have the skills to do that, but not every pelvic floor PT does. So just want to clarify that. Yeah. So please go and um, find Lynn online. I'm going to mention this at the end of our show today, how to find her. But I I want you to know that... um, There's a lot of therapists now who are working in the sexual health direction, who are learning trauma. But Lynn is really specifically looking at a lot of postpartum trauma work. And it's a very specific work. And it's a really powerful work. And I just want you to know it's out there available for you, whether you've had big T's or little T's. It's it's a beautiful work. Lynn, we're going to shift gears just because you're a businesswoman, too. And I have to ask you a couple of question. So the first one, what is the most common myth that you think people misunderstand about your work, who you are and what you are? The most common myth, I would, I would say the biggest myth most people think is that my work is not research-based. So that you know, yes, it's not, it's not in the literature. It's not in any published articles because I've just discovered this over the last 10 years. And, and, but yet it's still a thing. I have thousands and thousands of clients that I've helped with this. And so I have the quantitative research, just not, you know, it's, it's not published. So I have the clinical research, but it's not published. And I think, is that where you were going with, with that question, Sheree, or somewhere else? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I, I asked you straight out and you answered me straight out. And I want, I'm going to say, I'm going to want to address that just really quick. And I'm going to ask you some more business things too. But okay, I, I want people out there to understand is that the way you get to research is you actually have to live clinically in the world and see clinical things before you know even what you are going to research and what you're going to study. So the beauty of what Lynn is doing is that she's leading through her clinical work thousands of hours with not only practitioners and clients, et cetera, cataloging things, categorizing things, 
And that is literally what leads us to the next place, right? When we look at research, we look at data and whatever. We, we always want to think that data and clinical things always lead us. Well, yeah, they're lovely components. But unless somebody sees patterns and sees things that happen in a repeated manner that, and starts to question them, that's the beauty of the work that she's doing. And I want to say that that's a huge frustration of mine as well in this world, because there's yeah. no way that we would continue in this world. No one even knew this work 30 years ago. We started doing all this work. And then we were like, huh, I keep seeing these rhythm of things that keep coming up. Oh, maybe I should think about what that means to this. So I love your brain. I love where you're going. This is a beautiful <laughs> thing. So I want you to know, I'm really proud of you that you would. Uh, yeah. Thank you. That was beautiful. Well, I would say the other myth is that it's not easy. <laughs> it's not. It's easy. not. It's not it, that easy to get this work out into the world and to get practitioners. I'm so grateful to you, Sheree, for just accepting it as is and applying it and getting the results, right? I mean, the bottom, the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is, does it help your client? And absolutely. it does. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So here's the next one. How do you handle adversity as a founder and a leader in your industry? Wow. Adversity. Because there's always adversity. There's always adversity. And gosh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I, you get frustrated. You get, you know, I've, I've had, I've had things happen, but I think what, what's helped me the most is to realize that I am ahead of the game, right? I'm ahead of the curve and that I'm trying to get people to think in a new way. And when I have had setbacks where I think I, you know, oh, this might happen and it doesn't, I really kind of have to just set back and realize that this is all in God's divine timing and that when it's ready to get out into the world, it will. And that a lot of what I'm learning and teaching and putting out into the world was really given to me by spirit, like the the whispers, the intuitions that I was able to follow and discover. And, and so I really feel like, yes, this work is coming through me, but it's not mine. It's, you know, yes, I'm sharing it with others because it's effective and it's helpful. And so when I don't get the opportunities that I would love to have, I just realized the world's not ready for it yet. And so I will go have my own private pity party. <laughs> I will, I will rant with my, my close friends and share my frustrations. And then I take a deep breath and I move forward and realize that it all in divine timing, this is all, you know, this is, I'm, I'm putting this in God's hand. And, you know, it, it will unfold as it's supposed to. And I'm uh, not in control of that. Absolutely. And I think this is what happens when, first and foremost, everybody's going to always have babies. So everybody needs to right. learn and process this work. You know, we specialize in physical therapy care. We're musculoskeletal experts, right? And then yes. you have a, an extended network that you work with, with, you know, doulas and midwives. And, you know, you have lots of connections. Uh, this birth work is so important. It's empowering not only for clinical providers, but also for the for patients, for our clients. Right. And so 
It's yes. not going to go away. And it's more our, how do I say it? In the women's health <laughs> physical, in the women's health physical therapy space, we must be willing and open to open our mind to actually grow our space. Our, and that's a loaded thing. But I, I believe that part of what happens is that sometimes we want to put this new thing that we're doing, women's health physical therapy, in a box and be like, oh, this is the only way. No, that is not the only way. The space is going to grow and grow. The need is so great that yes. we need all these different puzzle pieces in order to make this happen in the women's physical therapy world. And we're going to shout it from the rooftops because we know that's what needs to happen. W women yeah. have to have the care they need. If a woman does not have the care she needs, she cannot be present for her family when she does not feel good. Right. Pre prenatally, postpartumly, 20 years later. You and I see it because we do this work and we've yes. done it a long time. And so we're not going to sit still about it and say, oh, well, too bad. No, it's not too bad. It has to be done and it has to be done well and right. And so it's yeah. a it's a big it's a big undertaking. Industry. <laughs> <laughs> And you can do it and you are doing it and just don't give up. And I have another thank really you. Okay, important so I question. Just, thank you. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for those words. And I do, I really sit back when I do get frustrated and I don't feel that this work is getting out into the world as quickly as I would hope it would be because I do know the effect of how it can help moms and help change the world that I sit back and I look at who is being helped and the students who have taken it. So I look back at my success so far. So when I get that disappointment, I always check back in with, well, look what I, we are doing currently. And yes, I always want it to be more and I will never give up. I will be teaching probably until I die. I really that is, I, it's too important to not get this work out into the world. And that importance is what drives me and keeps me going whether I get frustrations or whether I get successes, I'm not going to stop. So thank you for those words. I really appreciate hearing those. I, I just want you to know, because I've been in your, I mean, I, I get this so deeply, <laughs> is that when you're stressed out about it, you could just call me on the phone and blah, 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 okay. talk, talk, because, you know, I, I can relate. You know, I, I decided, you know, 31 years ago in the communities that I live in, in Northern Idaho and Washington, that I was going to change women's health care. I mean, that was what I was devoted to. And I wasn't going to stop until it did. And I believe, you know, you go on a roller coaster ride when you, you know, demand excellence of care for women. Yeah. You, you just do. You hit a lot of road bumps. You hit a lot of resistance. You hit a lot of people telling you that can't be done. We don't even understand what you're talking about. You know, that's a bunch of hooey gooey. I never read about that in research, et cetera. And right. you know what? You you and I then just keep pushing forward because we say, hey, you know what? We know what women want and need. We are women. We've lived in this body. We know the work. And we're going to stand up and demand that people, women, be taken seriously because we're actually meeting women face-to-face, one-on-one clients. We know it. We're listening. We are hearing them. And when you yep. hear it so many times over and over again, I mean, I did a survey years ago in our community just just quickly, right, just to see, like, my, you know, you had to be postpartum 10 years and under. And I asked them a whole series of questions because I just wanted to see 
were we the national average for, you know, bladder incontinence, sexual health and bowel dysfunction? You know, whereas there are puzzle pieces missing, you know, it was way before, you know, anxiety and depression was discussed so openly. And I was absolutely shocked. Some of us, some of our communities where we were, were, you know, right in the neighborhood and other parts of my counties were not. We were off the charts with things. And I thought, okay, this is the reason that we're addressing it. I don't care if anybody believes in it or not. These women are telling me in these surveys that these are the things. And I'm like, if we're not, if we're way over the national average, even though the national average is way too high, just so you know, for black right. it's, it's absolutely yes. pathetic. But, uh, but I'm just saying, like you and I know we can make a difference with all these things. I mean, we won't stop. This is, this right. is just not right. something. So we'll probably be teaching yeah. to a hundred years old, but whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love it. So I just have another question though. If you thought about all of this walk, all, all your work all together, what is the most important thing you learned about being a founder in your space? The most important thing you've learned as being a founder? Because yeah. you really have fa- founded a whole different puzzle piece of looking at the birthing process, I think, because you've watched all these you know, patterns happen, musculoskeletal all this time. So yeah. what do you think, what is the most important thing? Um, the most important concept that I've, that I've come across, is that what you're asking? I want no. you to ask the question one more time because I'm, yeah. I, I have I an idea. It, but It's probably, well, you could say concept, that would be fine. And then maybe you can say just as the business part of it too, because I think you you are such a distinct person. I want to share with you, I I see the vision of your heart is that you're not, you're not, you all, you have this beautiful clinical vision, but you've also said, no, I I need this business vision because I'm not going to be able to share this clinical thing unless I have the business vision. So I guess it's both of those things in those two things, because they're distinctly different, right? Things. Yes. yes. They're distinctly different. And I, I, I believe that's how you and I transfer knowledge, right? Is about now taking this business hat, putting it on so we can transfer everything that's in your head and you never leave this earth without that information yeah. being yeah. right distributed to people. So what do you think the most important concept? Let's just say that first. Okay. I, so two things are coming, one clinically and one business wise. The most important thing that I have discovered in this process is that I cannot take my business to the degree that I want it to go without growing myself. Yes. I love it. I, I like, I, so I just the other, this is like last year or sometime, I was noticing that my bank account was always staying at the same level. I wasn't getting above it. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So then I started doing it. So I'm like, huh, okay, so I have a block. That's my ceiling, right? So if I want to grow my business, and it's not just about the numbers in the bank account, right? Like that's, to me, that's just an indicator of how much this work is getting out into the world, okay? So, but that's one indicator of like, well, if I'm only here, why can't I get here and here and here? And I had to do some work on myself in order to grow that. And so now I've gotten it here. And so it's like, okay, now I'm here. I want to get it up here. What do I need to do? There's something within me that needs to shift and change in order to get 
my business to be more successful. So that that's like, it's, it's my responsibility. All business success comes down to the owner of the business. It's Amen. Period. Done. (laughs) You just said it all. I think as women founders, right, like when we get a block, just like you said, we always have to go back to ourselves and say, okay, what is blocking me from the next level? I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being vulnerable to share that. I think that's an important puzzle piece for people to understand is that we're growing too in the middle of all this, right? We're not. Yeah. Yeah. I I had one of my. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I had one of my clinical therapists, actually. She's one of my clinical directors. She said, oh, Sherry, I thought when I reached this place, like (laughs) that, you know, I wouldn't have to grow anymore. Like, because she's so accomplished. She's amazing. And she said, and yet I'm with you. And I keep watching you keep growing. And she said, I realized, oh, this is what life's like. This is what it means to be a professional woman that we're never done growing. And I said, I said, yeah. And sometimes we get in our own way, don't we? But I think this is why I'm asking you these questions and is because I want women, the next generations are coming, right? I want them to know what you have available for them. And I also want them to understand that you are doing the work so that they can know it and that they don't yeah. have to be behind the eight ball like we were 30 years ago, that they can actually yeah. jump all the way up to here because of what you were yeah. willing to do in order to make that happen. That's the beauty of this. Absolutely. And it, it that so I love the saying we're either growing or we're dying. We, we can't, right? Like those are our two cho- options. And I prefer the growth option to you. I don't know about you, but I always have had the, the impetus, the drive to be more, learn more, do more. And, and that comes from doing my own work. And I love the saying, even this applies clinically too. We cannot take our client to the degree that we have not gone ourselves, And if you want to know where you're stuck, start looking at what your clients are coming in to see you for and where they're stuck. Where can't they go? They're showing you where you're not able to go. And, and so our clients are our mirrors, our partners, our friends. Everybody is a mirror to us. And I also love the statement, you know, nothing is being done to me. Things are being done for my good. And when you can look at it from that mindset, you're no longer a victim and you are in control of your life and you can choose to look at whatever is coming your way as an opportunity to grow. What is this that I need to learn from this experience in front of me right now? What do I need to learn from this interaction? That's that's how I try to approach everything. And then I like to, to treat it with love. And, you know, what would love do in this situation? How can I bring more love to this situation? Because love and growth, I think we can't go wrong if we focus there. Yeah. So, Okay. So last question, what are you hoping to accomplish in this next year? 
Gosh. Well, so I mean, I have my specific goals. I'm, I'm, what I, I, overall is to just get this work out into more women's hands. So I would love to see more people showing up to my live courses. I would love to see more people accessing and completing my online courses because it's great when they buy it, but when they buy it and they don't ever get to it, that doesn't help me in my mission. And so that that's, you know, we're, we're looking at, a, you know, different ways. How can we motivate people to get through the material? So we're putting we're putting steps in to help encourage people and we can't do it for you. But, you know, online is a thing. It's online learning. And, and you know, some people are really good at it. I'm I'm not unless I have a deadline, you know, and so I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, but I believe that once you purchase something, it shouldn't go away. And so how do you create a deadline without taking something away from someone just to get them, you know, get them access to the material? So that's, that's the challenges. We're also revamping our certification program this year. So that'll be coming out. I'm putting together a new course this year. It's going to be more of an introductory course to my pregnancy course. So my holistic pregnant and holistic postpartum courses are my bigger flagship courses. And I have a mini course introduction to the postpartum course. And I want to create another mini introduction to the pregnant course. So that's on my agenda. I just started my birth healing intensive. So I have my first cohort going through that. And so we'll see, you know, play with that and see how that goes and what needs to change. But there's, you know, I I love that idea of, oh, we finally get there, right? There's never a there. (laughs) It's just it just keeps evolving and changing and growing. And, you know, it's, right. oh, oh, and the other big piece, which I forgot to mention, is that I am, I'm doing some research this year. I want to present at 2025, CSM 2025, on this idea of the open birthing pattern. And we're going to collect data somehow. And, and you know, we're, we're figuring that out. So that, that's another huge project on my plate this year. So that's not exciting. Much. Yeah, your your <laughs> list your list is long. Okay, so Lynn, I want everybody to be able to find you and just know your work. So please tell everybody right now how to find you on online. So instituteforbirthhealing.com is my clinical education or is my educational platform for body workers. Anybody with a license to touch there, I do have some doula courses on there, but those are mainly for the body workers. Licensed to Touch can take any of my courses on my website. I have a midwife course, a doula, doula course. Institute for Birth Healing on all the social medias, YouTube channel, Institute for Birth Healing. I have over 30 videos there, instructional videos, and then my podcasts go up there as well. I also have the Center for Birth Healing as my clinical practice. And if anybody has experienced birth trauma and would like to do any of that trauma healing work, we can do that via Zoom anywhere. So you can reach out. There's a form on that website to submit it to get in touch with us there. So yes, I am running two businesses. <laughs> if I finally come to that conclusion. Like, oh gosh, yes. So yes, you have a yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. no. Yes, you are. It's a lot. It's a no. lot. Lynn, thank you so much for your time today. And it was amazing. And I'm sure usually what happens is, you know, 
someone like you will come back on the show again because people have so I'd many questions to. and they want to know more detail or in-depth things about certain components. But I really loved being with you today. It, it meant a lot to me. I love the, your work and just keep growing and doing your thing in this space. Thank it's amazing you. and it's making a difference. It really is. So thank you for being right. on the show and we'll just connect again as we move forward. Okay. I'd love to talk more about the postpartum patterns and all that stuff in the body. And I also forgot to mention, I do have a podcast for Healing Summit podcast as well. People can learn more from me there. So thank oh, you. Perfect. Thanks, That's Cherie, awesome. for having me. This has oh, been fun. It was wonderful. Great. All right. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, we're